Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, you can't get fooled again. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here, hanging out with Travis Irvine. Hello, Ben. Hello, Travis, and congratulations on the last episode. You really proved you know all the presidents of the United States. Thank you. I just wish the, I'd stop getting beat up at the lunch office. Well, you're a nerd. <laughs> and that's what happens. Fernando is also with us. Hi, Ben. Hi, Fernando. How y'all doing today out there? Y'all feeling good? <laughs> y'all getting ready? I know y'all, they might be scared, Ben. Y'all buckled up for the fun new reality show coming to MSNBC, CNN, Fox News this summer? Oh. It's called War. Woo! It's going to be huge. Whoa! Ratings have plummeted, so they got to get something new to dabble in. <sighs> We're going to talk about that today. That's going to be the bulk of the episode, the meat. It's all about what's happening right now with Ukraine, Russia, and the United States, of course, China as well. But man, it wasn't that long ago that the United (laughs) States and Russia were just drinking buddies. Oh, my golly. Where have we gone? We have gone far away from where we were. Boris Yeltsin and Bill Clinton. We have a clip here of Boris and Bill. Neither of them sober, probably uh, (laughs) desperately trying to forget the horrible crimes that they just committed in the White House together. (laughs) Sure. But this was a time where the Cold War had ended. This is the 90s. Mm-hmm. People the Soviet thought Union Soviet had... Union had collapsed. Mm-hmm. Of course, the saddest moment in Putin's life, mm-hmm. the collapse of the Soviet Union. This was a time of peace in many ways. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the turmoil that the Clinton White House brought us, a couple of things there in Kosovo. Maybe he could have killed Osama bin Laden, but mostly it was uh, blowjob related drama. Oh, OK. Yeah. And then, of course, Ken Starr. Writing that uh, beautiful, steamy report. I hate that guy. (laughs) But this is how far we've come from Boris Yeltsin and Bill Clinton to Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin. Let's play a clip of Boris Yeltsin and Bill Clinton just laughing it up. Mm. And this is all due to you because coming from my statement yesterday in the United Nations, and if you looked at the press reports... They're so One serious right now. That what you were writing They're hammered. Bill Clinton. Was that Boris today's meeting next with President other. Bill Clinton was going to be a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Clinton. 
Well, now for the first time, I can tell you that you're a disaster. Oh, there it is, and Bill laughs right in the face. Hold on, this is a long laugh. This is. <laughs> this is where the charm does come in for old Slick Willie. <laughs> Oh boy, they are hammered. Absolutely. They're red. so red. So beat red. Yeah. Well, that's how it gets done, you know? That's how it used to get done. That's supposedly how the the um, the Bay of Pigs. Yeah. That's how we avoided going to war over that was. Uh, just getting hammered, huh? Khrushchev was hammered. He just sent a, a drunken tweet. <laughs> but it was, you know, back then it was a. All right, so there we go. We have the interaction between Yeltsin and Clinton bringing in a new era, an era that we thought could last for our foreseeable lifetime. Yeah. However, it did not last long. In 1999, Putin, uh, through a false flag operation, came to power and has been in power ever since he was, uh, I suppose, for the most part, um, the most fairly elect, the most fair election he had was the first. No, oh, okay, but sure. again, right. it was predicated upon something that was a false flag attack. So let's play Joe Biden today, mm. talking about what's going on with Russia, imposing sanctions, and then I want you to pay attention to the second half of his conversation, discussing if we go to war, things are going to get harder for you as an American. But the thing is. Before war, it's been hard. So you can already tell he's attempting to say gas prices are up. Student, uh, you know, uh, school is more expensive than ever. Uh, infrastructure, we'll have to put it on the wayside because we've got a war to take care of. Woo! So let's play Joe Biden talking about Putin and Russia. As we respond... My administration is using every tool at our disposal to protect American businesses and consumers from mm. rising prices at the pump. Oh. As I said last week, defending freedom will have costs huh. for us as well <laughs> and here at home. We need to be honest about that. But as we will do but as we do this, I'm going to take robust action to make sure the pain of our sanctions is targeted at a Russian economy, not ours. The United States and our allies and partners remain open to diplomacy, if it is serious. When all is said and done, we're going to judge Russia by its actions, not its words. And whatever Russia does next, we're ready to respond with unity, clarity, and conviction. So we have a man speaking out of both sides of his mouth right there, because, of course, he's discussing how they would like to have some kind of diplomacy the same day that he says that, Jen Psaki, of course, she's the press secretary. She has said that there will be no meeting between President Joe Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin. Also, Antony Blinken. That's right. His name is Antony. Mm. I say put the H in there. Why mm. not? Mm. You know, but anyway, it's Antony. Uh, <laughs> he is the secretary of state. He just canceled his meeting with a Russian foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, whose that name has been out there for quite a while. So the question is, with the backdrop of the U.S. economy being exactly what it is right now with higher gas prices, uh, people say that homes are now 20 percent more Ugh. expensive than two years ago. What do you guys think this means as far as the Biden administration and his approach? I mean, we have to kind of believe what we're seeing because the one thing that these people do 
is tip their hands. And I think without a doubt, this administration is much more hawkish, certainly than the last. And a war is definitely not off the table. Well, yeah, Biden and his relationship with Putin is much different than President Trump and his relationship with Putin. I mean, again, putting it into context, like you mentioned, Putin came to power at the end of the 90s. We are the Cold War was over. The Soviet Ooh, Union was hot, done. Hot times. Uh, the, you know, the. The Western world was embracing these new Eastern world nations and uh, basically taking all the Soviet satellite states and they're becoming their own countries. And some of them, obviously, were interested in joining uh, NATO, which is kind of how we we got to where we are. Right. And then, you know, Putin, again, during the Bush years, you had, again, the, at least an attempt at getting along. Right. Uh, Bush saying that he looked into Putin's eyes and I, I saw a soul. I saw a soul in there. He saw his soul, saw soul. in Putin's eyes. They had him up at the Kennebunkport, wherever yes. the Bush's uh, I, vacation I, back. I love George W. Bush back casting couch. Ugh. Why don't you bend over, uh, grab your buttocks <laughs> there, and let me see your soul. <laughs> that's where it really is. In the, that's yeah. right. In the early 2000s, when Putin came to power, Russia was completely devastated. Mm -hmm. He hadn't really, he had already, he had always expressed wanting to bring the Soviet Union back. But Travis is right. I think the U.S. was like, yeah, he's a strong man, but this might be someone that we can work with. And he kind of ran as a moderate in some ways. Absolutely. And it really wasn't until the Obama years. And to your point about this administration in particular, the Biden administration, because Biden was Barack Obama's vice president for eight VP. years. Um, that is when the relationship with Putin started to go sour, right? You you had uh, in 2012, especially when Obama was running for re-election, you had Mitt Romney being critical mm -hmm. of President Obama's administration for not taking the Russian threat more seriously. Obviously, um, after 2012 is when Putin went into Crimea in 2014. And, and you know, it's all Say this it question. again. Crimea. River. Thank there you. There we go. And that was basically kind of set the stage of, um, again, a red line and what the United States does when you do you set a red line. Mm -hmm. When does Putin cross the red line? And then after he does, what are the repercussions? And in the the example of Crimea in 2014, the U.S. kind of just let him have it. And as a war will often give us strange bedfellows, such as the war resolution that is, is being supported by Ilan Omar and Matt Gates at mm -hmm. AOC mm -hmm. and uh, a woman named Mace. This is where they would like the president to go to Congress to give approval to war. However, of course, that has been um, not fulfilled time and time and time and time again, the right. War Resolution Act. Well, especially since 9-11. Exactly. And this is the, kind of the same contingent, obviously different players, different elected officials. But 20 years ago, we saw progressive Democrats and libertarian-leaning Republicans coming together to oppose any war in Afghanistan or Iraq. And, you know, you've seen Senator Mike Lee from Utah. He's right. very conservative. Him and Bernie Sanders have worked together to try to end the bombing of Yemen and the funding of that war and sending all the arms to Saudi Arabia because yeah. they're the ones doing the bombing. Well, it worked out great. Exactly. And that's kind of how, <laughs> you know, it's it's nice to see these folks coming together. So, um, but w how effective will it actually be? Politically, let's say and we'll get, we're going to get into de-dollarization because that's crucial. Mm -hmm. If you look at what happened in Libya, we'll talk about that There's in a, a second. Bigger, yeah, bigger it's, plays. Yep. Believe it or not, mm -hmm. I know it's shocking. Money it might have something to do with it. <laughs> what? Wait, what? What? No what? way. What? What? Politically, if... As we now see Russia on the national stage as being basically the number one adversary to the United States at this point, someone like a Mitt Romney, if you're Mitt Romney, you have to be sitting there as now you have networks like CNN and MSNBC who would 
for all intents and purposes, they called Mitt Romney a racist and all of the worst things possible uh, for the 2012 campaign, but they would love him. At this point, the nation would look at Mitt Romney, and I think CNN would push for someone like a Mitt Romney, and it seems like that's kind of what they're doing here when they have recognized that Mitt Romney was the only one on the stage to say in a debate, Russia, this is without a question, our number one geopolitical foe. And if you watch the clip, literally everybody laughs at him. If you're Mitt <laughs> Romney and all of a sudden Russia looks like the number one political foe, mm-hmm. I, I hate to even say it, but 2024 isn't that far away. Oh, OK. He'd still be in the Senate, so he'd be safe. You know, he'd have another two years there, I believe, mm-hmm. even if he lost the presidency. I wonder if this gives someone like him uh, car planche to have a, another exciting go around of <laughs> Mitt Romney debates and campaign. To me, this ties kind of with what, what a little bit what Biden was talking about. Um, Romney maybe remembered what had happened with the Russia-Ukraine gas disputes in like 2005 and 2010. Those were huge. Those mm-hmm. affected Europe. Mm-hmm. So I think when when what Biden was talking about that we're going to try to affect the the sanctions to affect only Russia, it's I think he's forgetting that how connected Russia is. It, a whole pi- gas pipeline of and natural our, gas runs uh, oh, through. Oh yeah, they were saying on TV today that uh, Russia provides three percent of Europe's gas, but like sixty percent of Germany's gas. Exactly. Um, and one former Obama advisor even called basically Russia just a, a giant gas station. So I mean, their GDP is mainly gas, natural gas. Ooh, and, that explains like. that explains all the good bag chips and different kind <laughs> yeah. of roller dogs. Yum, yum, yum. So I think Rum. Well, this is what the kind of things that Romney was aware of that yeah. because it was so close to what what he had just gone through and may I, I feel like it's completely being ignored by the biden administration now well, also the consequences 2012 what a time so long ago <laughs> it, it really was still was. about al-qaeda right we were still talking about terrorism mm, in that context right. we were of middle still east emerging from the bush era mm-hmm. war on terror and that obama had inherited and then yes you're absolutely right things were kind of shifting on a geopolitical level i mean obama's comeback which was seen at the time as like He got him pretty good Uh, when it comes to the debate between Mitt Romney. This is what Obama said. Uh Oh, Um, you said Russia, not Al Qaeda. You said Russia. And then he says, and the 1980s calls. (laughs) This is true. And the 1980s are now calling to ask you for their foreign policy back because because the Cold War has been over for 20 years. Of course, this on the backdrop of uh, of Obama at the time meeting with uh, what the heck is the Medvedev? And who was the vice president back then? Who was the vice president? Exactly. That's right. Obama was caught in the hot mic telling basically a a Russian official that please tell Vladimir that after the election, I'll have more flexibility. So my question is, what's changed? (laughs) Yeah. What has changed? Well, I'll tell you what changed. So if Biden is the V, go on. Okay. So that's 2012. That's your hot mic moment. All of it. Again, out there 10 years ago. What changed was 2014 when Vladimir Putin crossed the red line and he challenged the Obama Biden administration said, Mm. I'm going into Crimea. And then we're like, you can't do that. And he was like, well, you went into Iraq. And then it kind of, he kind of uses the U S foreign policy tactics against us to justify his own actions. And that's exactly what he's saying now as well when it comes to the false flag attacks like we're seeing with the car bombs, Mm -hmm. when it comes to the CIA attacks uh, that we've seen internationally, 
when it comes to the American entanglement, as we talked about on the last episode, something George Washington did not want uh, no. all over the world. He also it, said it, it was important for Congress to be in charge of uh, declaring war. And I agree with that. It is an easy thing to do, which does not make it right, but it's an easy thing to do, which is, well, you did it. And again, I don't know why that war on drugs commercial is just in my head. <laughs> I learned it from watching you. All right. yeah, pretty <laughs> That's much. literally the defense. But of course, we learned a lot from the Russians as well, specifically when it comes to espionage yeah. and intelligence, well, because they are very good at it. And that's the other thing. After the 2014 Crimea incident, then 2016, you have Vladimir Putin, quote unquote, meddling in American elections. And, going, and Obama had told him at one of the G7 summits to cut it out. But I don't think he did. I don't think he did either. And of course, that was the red line moment for the Obama administration in 2014. We said, you cross this line, Mm -hmm. that's a red line. And then he crossed it. Mm -hmm. And then um, that wasn't a red line. Right. And of course, that's why a lot of people saw Obama, ironically enough, as not hawkish enough on foreign policy, despite, of course, he's the reason the drone war kicked up another notch and... uh, We are uh, still struggling with the atrocities of the 20-year war in the Middle East. Right. And then Syria also kind of functioned as almost a a proxy war where you did have Russian involvement. Remember, you had Russian planes on that, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the the airport, the roadway. uh, The roadway that uh, that Trump bombed briefly. That Hillary wanted to bomb. And she said, you know, that was kind of it. That was Hillary was painted as this war hawk that would take us uh, undeniably into an accidental World War III with Russia by acting in Syria and bombing things like that airstrip. And then you're absolutely right. Uh, Trump ended up doing it. But I do believe he called Putin first and said, we're going to do this. You're going to want to get out of there. And again, that is true. He did call Putin. He told the military, we're going to be bombing the airstrip. A few people did die, however. And of course, those people didn't get the phone call right? uh, because the people that die are exactly the janitors and the people who were working there. Um, it would be nice if they just got a text message that says, go home early today. Right. Donald Trump has to make some television news. So he's got to bomb uh, our airstrip to make himself seem like he's a tough guy, despite the fact that he would love to cuddle with Putin every <laughs> single night. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. So when it comes to the escalation now, Obviously, who's what's wagging what? You know, we were talking about mm-hmm. the Olympic Games, mm-hmm. and uh, I love the Olympics, and I know people didn't watch as much, but the curling was great this year. <laughs> the opening ceremonies read 
like a manifesto to uh, for how to get a nation worried yeah. and how to get a nation ready for war. Just because people on in media are like, it's tense out here. Right. Oh, it's very tense. What does it, does proclaiming it's tense, does that come before it becoming tense? And then once it gets tense, then it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. That's one mm. of the things that I don't want to do on this show, because I do think there are people who secretly, especially in media, talk about tanking in ratings, whether it be print or TV or you know radio, whatever. There are people who seem to really want it when they discuss war. And I want to say I don't want it. I would prefer if everyone got to live super peaceful and wonderful mm -hmm. lives and the right. people of Ukraine that are going to die or the people who are, again, the poorest. Right. But, I mean, do you – I mean, how do you guys feel now? It's, it seems like this has been happening for two weeks, and it's it's only ramping up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. Again, just looking at the – from when we reported on the Olympic opening – Right, which Ceremonies. was I thought I thought just a little heavy-handed in my opinion. But well, okay. and that was NBC. Not that the Chinese don't deserve any all criticism, but it was NBC. And bring up the point that we've been talking about at home as well. It seems like NBC they are the they're on the front lines of covering this conflict right now with Russia. Yeah, they're the loudest. And uh, I don't say that out of I don't say that out like it's a great thing. I think they're creating a lot of the drama as well. Yes, no, I would agree. The loudest war drums uh, in the room right now belong to NBC, and you know, again, they kind of use the Olympic Games, the ratings bump from the Olympic Games to talk about the tension of Putin and and Xi being there at the Olympic Games. Obviously, right before the Olympic Games started, as I you know we're going to get into further, um, Putin and Xi did announce that they are basically committed to each other and the mm -hmm. expansion into NATO. I mean, everything. They're basically backing each other up. Right. So that that is very real. Talk but about to, a uh, talk about a nice bank account to be attached to if oh, you're Putin. Zoinks. Yeah. That's not, not bad. He got himself a sugar daddy. Right? I'm going to dump Pelosi mm. stocks and get Putin stocks. <laughs> I love it. I'll give you one right now. Uh -oh. Hey -oh. So again, this sets the stage, but to your point, Ben, NBC has been, again, presenting this uh, in a very uh, amped up way. And then, of course, their 24-hour news network, MSNBC, mm -hmm. has been nonstop on this, as we've talked about on this show, that the fact that the war hawks of this country, again, those who were in the Biden and Obama administrations from uh, from 2012 to 2016, and they've got that chip on their shoulder about getting burned by Putin at all. Right. And uh, they are all uh, now talking heads on MSNBC. So you have a lot of drumming up in this anti-Putinism, and and you know, let's face it, to your uh, to a, a greater point as well, you know, Putin is rallying his saber. He kind of knows what he's doing, right? He's done mm -hmm. this for a, a few years now, since 2014, probably even before that, and so he's doing this weird dance where he dances on the red line, and it is just kind of a, am I in your red line? I'm not touching right. you now. Am I touching your red line now? That's I'm about to punch you in the nose. Oh, now well, you're the aggressor. Ah, dang it. That's what he was saying last year to NATO, right? It's like, don't don't mess with Crimea. If they wanna, if they wanna be their own countries, let them be their own countries. But NATO is is involved in it, and that is what keeps getting escalated. But I truly don't think it's about war. I think this was gonna happen no matter what because of Russia and China's prey, uh, 
their push for de-dollarization. Mm-hmm. And I talk a lot about this with you guys. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the devaluation of the dollar, the money printer, the Fed printing more more money and that every dollar in our pocket is suddenly loses value. Absolutely. Inflation is uh, extremely real. That's what we're dealing with now. And again, that's why when you hear the the Biden messaging where it's like things are going to get tough because of the war, it's like it's not because of a war. You're printing money. You've printed more money in these past three years than you ever did. The Fed, the Fed is out of control. And China sees that and Russia sees that. And they want they everything they do is tied to the dollar. So every dollar in their pocket loses value every time the Fed, who they have no control over, prints a dollar. They want to move away from that. China wants to move to the gold standard. Russia wants to also move to the gold standard or at least move to the euro. Anything to get themselves away from the dollar, which is which is not in the benefit of the USA. And if you ask the screams coming from the mouth of uh, Muammar Gaddafi towards the end, you wonder if that's going to be acceptable by the American government (laughs) and the American um, geopolitical state. Right. When it comes to Russia, interestingly enough, during the Cold War, they spent around 30 percent of their GDP on military. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering, because obviously now we're going to see sanctions. And of course, my heart always goes out because the people that are going to be suffering the most are not the people that are creating the problems. It's going to be poor people who are going to get poor. It's and the then, grandmas. Right. And then yeah. theoretically, yeah. by the point of a sanction is to like have upheaval within uh, uh, the poorer class, correct? Right. Well, in theory, again, on these sanctions that Biden announced today, they are only supposed to hit the oligarchs, the people who back Putin, uh, the banks that support the, the Russian military. It was a very targeted amount of sanctions that is not supposed to not intended to hurt uh, smaller, lower class people in Russia. Uh, the fascinating thing on this, of course, is that plenty of the Republican talking points feel that Biden's sanctions don't go far enough. Right. So. And of course, when we we know one thing when it comes to trickle down, the only thing that trickles down is the cost. So it, no matter who you're, tar- if you're targeting the oligarchs, I am sure the oligarchs will target somebody else to yes. recoup any loss. And then the babushkas right. get hit hard. Right now, Russia is only spending 4.3% of their GDP on military. Mm-hmm. So they've greatly- 26% down- less, right? Yeah, so they've mm-hmm. greatly downsized military spending. Mm-hmm. So it seems like sanctions aren't quite as powerful because they do have more of a safety net state. Mm-hmm. The US, for example, is at 3.7, which is kind of where we always are, even though, I mean, that's just the US economy. We'll have 800 billion per year for it, and it's 3.7%. Right. <laughs> but I wonder if the sanctions are going to have the same teeth if there isn't the same economic uh, crisis going on within Russia and, of course, the Soviet Union, because that's re- we were just kind of able to bleed them dry, almost like how Donald Trump wins court cases just by keeping <laughs> the appeals process going until someone dies or says they're done. Right. <laughs> and then it has China behind it saying, hey, we aren't going to let you. We aren't going to let your GDP fall. We are not going to let your right. your your ruples go to waste. Right. Yeah. Russia and China are tied at the hip now. And again, it's they made it clear before the opening ceremonies of the Olympics and coming out of the Olympics. Of course, Putin, the only world leader, the most powerful world leader other than G there. Yeah. And they were seated right next to each other. Um, so absolutely. They were they showed that they are. Uh, unified in both military expansions when it comes to Putin's ambitions with those uh, pre-NATO states, uh, the Ukraine areas that are held by Russian separatists. And then similarly, yes, uh, Russia is step in line with what China is doing on the economic forefront. And why is all of this happening? I want to talk about this one interesting article from Axios. Democrats 
are apparently tuning out national news during the Biden era. Now, this happens all the time. We talk about the out group, how most people criticize the other group as opposed to looking inside and saying, well, what are the problems with us? Maybe they don't want to be confronted with some of the um, details of the Biden White House. But right now, it was at its peak in 2020, 73% of Democrats said that they consumed multiple hours per day of news in whether it be print or television. That's according to a Gallup poll. That's now down to 34%. Mm. So going into the ratings crisis that a lot of these networks have, that plays into it. Also, not to steal a catchphrase from what I think is kind of, it's kind of a shit show newspaper, <laughs> but democracy does die in the dark. Mm. And if you weren't you know, reading or staying up to date and then all of a sudden, boom, it gives a um, it, it gives an allowance for a lot of people that you may disagree with to just continue going on with a very hawkish foreign policy, because the left, who is supposed to be the anti-war party in this country, which that's sort of been shifted on its head now, isn't paying any attention. So I feel like with the, with the backdrop of economic despair, people not paying mm. attention, the Biden administration needing to have its approval ratings up, plus as Travis said, the personal nature of this mm -hmm, you know vendetta. why did we go into why did we go into iraq it was personal <laughs> right and now there's an actual vendetta against russia so it's kind of a perfect storm that creates total and utter potential chaos absolutely i mean the warhawks uh they're gonna you know they're very good at finding places to roost and i think they, they are fully understood. Man, they are all over the freaking place they're all over. it's unbelievable yeah and i think they fully understood post bush cheney administration once that was done that they kind of had to find their way into the new obama administration like you said they found it with uh, drone wars that was a john brennan move um the man who expanded the drone wars uh through the cia um mm -hmm. and of course as we've touched on this show as well the cia and the military are very closely uh, intertwined now they, they used to be other. technically separate entities but after leon <laughs> panetta um, you know, uh, you just have multiple instances showing where we've had former CIA folks now mm -hmm. running the Pentagon. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, again, the cliche is money. As as Fernando alluded to with de-dollarization, this emerged apparently as a priority in Russia in 2014. Yep. That coincides. Convenient timing. Isn't that very Good convenient indeed. timing? Back then, 80% uh, of the total exports were U.S. dollar in Russia. Interesting. So, and that was uh, that was in response to the imposition of the sanctions that the Obama administration at the time put on them. Right. So they're like, "We're getting out of this dollar thing." But to me, if that doesn't tell you that, uh, I guess Putin has balls of fucking steel on that one, because that China is the one thing him, that you don't do with the U.S. Though you don't mess with the U.S. when it comes to money. Currency. And when it comes to our currency, when it comes to our global, you know, control of it. So I feel like that's another massive reason why there might be someone on the fence about the war who then says, oh, you know what? Eh, they're going to get off the dollar. Ah, screw them. 
Right. I mean, to put a little historical context in this, and, and Fernando and I were talking about it, but back during the Bush-Cheney administration, there were two smaller countries that wanted to de-dollarize, specifically two oil-producing nations, and that was Iran. They had a guy in charge of a name, Ahmad Ahmadinejad. That's right. He was the president of Iran. And then Hugo Chavez was president of Venezuela. Mm-hmm. And they had formed an unlikely alliance. Uh, they became friends. They would do press conferences together. A lot uh, they of, were lot very of against, uh, A lot of pantsuits. They were very <laughs> Against Bush Cheney. I remember Chavez gave a, a speech at the UN about how ha- after Bush was there, it literally smelled like sulfur because Bush was the devil. It's pretty fun. <laughs> um, but they both wanted to eventually sell their oil in euros mm-hmm. or uh, even gold standard because the US dollar to them uh, was devaluing at that time as well with the recession coming in yep. 2008. So they wanted to just sell oil in a different currency. And you won't believe what happened to these guys. Uh, well, Ahmadina Judd just got voted out. And he seemed to go away. But yeah. Chavez got cancer and died. He did. And yes, then, uh, he did. what's what's happening at the border with all these Venezuelan immigrants coming? Mm-hmm. Could those two things be related? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there was always kind of chaos in Venezuela, and, and you could throw blame probably on both sides in, in a lot of cases with that, with Chavez and then his adversaries. Either way, the point is, is that uh, America slap these two guys down basically right. i just feel like putin doesn't understand that the european union it's not like they'll the eu can give him sanctions too right or they but can I just guess stop if they, buying if they gas. Are, I, but i guess if they are on the oil teeth that's what i'm saying maybe if, it'll be less likely it's like what are you going to do you're going to tell me you're not going to pay any money all right no oil to germany right. no gas to the biggest country of europe and that was a conversation on the news today right. too in fact i think it was neil cavuto who was asking about oh. it um that basically you know couldn't we just stop buying couldn't the european allies couldn't we just stop buying Russia's gas, but China's obviously a big buyer. And then from there, Russia can get other buyers. You know, it's like, you don't want my gas? Well, I'm still a huge gas station and I'm going to find other customers. To my point that that I said earlier, so 80% of Russia's total exports in 2013 were in US dollars. Now uh, it's a little over half of its total exports. So about 30% have decreased, but most of the decrease has been absorbed by its trade with China. Again, before it didn't have this, this, this big bully in the back going, you know what? You're right. We should move on to the gold standard. It's yeah. it's different now. It mm. is. And a little story about Neil Cavuto, when I had a chance to do his show, I did it a couple of times. He wrote a handwritten letter and he said, it was great to have you on. And he was so sweet. As a thank you? And he, Yes. Oh. And he's like a good, he's just a kind of a good, moderate dude. Yeah. And uh, he had a lot of health issues. And he had COVID and he was in the hospital for a long time, but he survived. He survived. So but then he These are really, really nice, dude. And just real quick, because you're right. Uh, I've heard Kabuda is nothing but class, but he actually talked about his COVID battle on the air and said that if he wasn't vaccinated, he would have died. And people wrote him hate mail. So they wrote him personalized uh, letters. It's yeah. He's never been a Trumper. So that whole thing, he's just had to oh. deal with a lot. But of course. Uh, he has a very charmed life as well, but a lot of health issues. Anyway, Neil, happy you're doing well. He was very sweet. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. In a fast-paced world... 
Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Putin, war. Is this like the beginning of American beauty? Mm. I have one year left to live. Oh. <laughs> you look at the history of de-dollarization. You look at the history of, uh, you know, aggression against our allies and proxy wars. It just takes one huge event to set off a World War III. I don't even like to use that term. But you look at what happened with the people that have done what he is doing in the past. And they didn't last too long. Right. Shabbos I mean, Libya was exactly. And, and when it comes to Gaddafi, he was in power a long freaking time. This guy was there for like 30, 50 years, right. 30, 40 years. And they were just like, what was that last speech you gave? Yeah. And then, of course, the last thing he talked about was trying to start an African union similar to the European Union. Uh, exactly. And our, our friend Bob Fitrakis was there present in Libya for the speech because uh, all Green Party members had been invited from all around the world because Gaddafi is with the Green Party, even though Green Party in Libya doesn't mean Green Party as it does with Jill Stein in America. <laughs> They're different. Either it way, is quite poor different. Bob Fitrakis sitting there is like, oh, this guy, Gaddafi, he's a dead man. <laughs> and sure enough, they didn't let him get away with it. But they that's did. the fascinating thing about Putin and Xi. They're they're too powerful. And you're absolutely right. Mm. Russia's military isn't what it used to be. Um, their GDP, as we've noted, is even lower than California's, the state of California's. So if they can kind of function as this rabble rousing military might in these little areas of the world where they can be that, does that serve Xi and China's greater purpose of kind of making a new world order where right. China and Russia are the powerhouses and the Western world's kowtow to them? With the billions of people that live in China, I just have to assume at some point there's going to be an actual uprising uh, as the crackdowns continue. But I, I, I just, I guess you just don't but know. What uh, do we know also about I China? Know, well, I also know there yeah. is a there is a wealthy class for the first time as well. Mm. So they they've created kind of a middle class and a wealthy class and a poor class. This is the first time that's ever really existed in China, and that's Xi's kind of plan is to be like. But you guys are doing pretty good, right? So <laughs> right. don't uh, you know? So let's forget about the torture of Muslims or Christians or gays or whatever. Let's forget about all that because mm-hmm. you all got all the new products and stuff. So I think that alleviates you know some of the uh, pressures on G. But if a war goes on, a proxy between the U.S. and China, first of all, there's going to be a lot of people again making a lot of freaking money, and second of all, the people of China are going to suffer, and there's a heck of a lot more than them. Than there are of G, and there's a heck of a lot more of them than there are of Americans. So an uprising could be 500 million freaking people. But that's the thing. You got to wonder if this is just a move by Putin, again, to drain the American resources. We just saw but that how, with but Afghanistan. But isn't that, but that's like, but that's, that's like a, a that's like a 12 ounce beer trying to drain a 25 ounce beer. Because they don't have it. They don't. How are we? They're not going to win that. But look at Afghanistan. Afghanistan, we were there right. for 20 years. It was just a pain no. in the freaking ass. It was just a money pit. And it was a money pit for the Soviets when they were there in the 80s. Right. So it's almost like what is being started here with these these specific territories in Ukraine? You know, they they already uh, have a Russian separatist that's uh, another, population there. Another, That's why Putin feels comfortable going in there in great, the first place. Absolutely fantastic point. Important to remember the places that he is currently occupying are Russian speaking places. They, and they may, want to be part of Russia. It yes. is very similar 
to when the uh, when the Nazis started to expand, there were sympathizers in the first couple of, you know, the first few places they went. They It wasn't exactly a war to keep them out. Right. Uh, when when Hitler had Until taken over Germany. Right. Exactly. Uh, Hitler would go into Poland, Czechoslovakia. And you're absolutely right. That's kind of how he he dipped his toe into the war waters to see when it would be too much. Again, that's kind of the move of a dictator. Dance on the red line until you cross it. Right. And then you jump right over. It's also uh, what a good comedian does. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's what I've heard. (laughs) That's what I've heard. In 2011, then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton testified in Congress that the Obama administration did not need congressional authorization for its military intervention in Libya because it was mostly done with the CIA. It was uh, most of it. Uh, The U.S. had conducted 75% of all aerial refueling sorties, supplied 70% of the operation's intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance, and contributed 24% of the total aircraft used in the operation. However, that did not, I guess by the hawk's mind, constitute our engagement with Libya. We were just still – we're just helping. We're just we're helping, just them, helping them out here. I remember and that. And so if they didn't get it, if that was 2011, this whole War Powers Act, despite the fact AOC, Elon, Matt Gates, and other you know uh, Freedom Caucus people, the, despite the fact they're together, it's still. I, I mean, there's just doesn't seem like they're going to care too much about it. Right. Secretary of State's kind of can work with the CIA. Again, these these parts of the federal government that um, don't have as much transparency. Uh, they don't have as much accountability. Um, that is also how you remember the coup in Honduras in 2009. Mm-hmm. That was another Hillary Clinton production that a lot of progressives uh, tried to hit her on in 2016. But the Libya was a disaster. Objectively, Barack Obama called it the worst uh, foreign policy disaster of his entire presidency. Yep. Just again, because they went in. They supplied all of that. I remember in 2011, too, there was a big push by the the new Tea Party uh, members of Congress to defund NPR. But it was like a price for one bomb <laughs> oh my that God. we sent That's in Libya right, was right. how much NPR cost right. for a year. If I hear, what is it? Uh, what's her name? Over Amy Vulcan <laughs> Flick. <laughs> if I hear Terry Gross. If I hear Terry oh, Gross, one more, I'm going to throw up. Oh, my God. So anyway, that's a little bit of a backdrop. And again, now current Secretary of State, Antony uh, Blinken, mm. uh, he was previously the Deputy National Security Advisor from 2013 to 2015 and the Deputy Secretary of State from 15 to 2017 under Obama. So the man has a long history of... Uh, understanding how to engage with foreign governments in a way that is going to, uh, you know, best destabilize whatever region we want to go in at that time. Get me a secretary of state who won't blink in the face of adversary. Uh, ah, shit, his name's blinking. Blinking, yeah. oh, damn it. You see, when, when I made this prediction, uh, what, two months ago? When I made the prediction about war in Russia, the prediction was purely because of the de-dollarization. The China mm. and Ru- I had no idea about the Crimea. So this is, to me, this is the theater on top of the reason. Absolutely. Mm. Well, and keep in mind, for, for decades, I feel like that's kind of how the U.S. economic policy has worked, too. I mean, since Bush, since after 9-11, we've just been running up the national debt. And the idea with running up our national debt is that no one's going to call us on it because we have all the nuclear weapons. And that's always kind of been the way we've 
stayed in power and held our economic power. But this is, I would say, the Russia-China combo, uh, certainly a different adversary. And indeed, Zelensky, the old comedian actor there that is in charge of Ukraine for now. He has said he wants to get the nuke, but I don't know if that's going to happen. And when it comes to Zelensky as, as well, uh, no one in his country really likes him. Oh. He's only got 30% support right now. <laughs> so that with that backdrop of him not having a lot of support, uh, his background is a TV comedian. He's a TV comedian. Yeah. And then the way that he just kind of dipped out to Munich when it all started. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure if the Ukrainian people really feel as if they have a uh, leader that is confident enough right. or capable enough to uh, deal with what's going on right now. Well, that's what's so crazy to me also, it, it just in terms of, I mean, how much have we heard of Ukraine in the past 10 years in the news? I mean, because before Zelensky, they had a very controversial president. Um, the idea of Zelensky getting elected, again, as a TV personality, I believe Putin was excited because he was like, oh, here's a soft guy I can push around. Yeah, Here's a former TV guy mm -hmm. I can just push around. I wonder why <laughs> he keeps getting that idea. Yeah. But Zelensky, exactly. I mean, I mean, look at everything that that in terms of the 2020 election, they kept trying to dig up stuff on Hunter Biden and because he was involved with uh, gas companies in Ukraine, supposedly. Remember, Giuliani had gone to uh -huh. Ukraine to find this stuff out. Then you had Zelensky was on the famous That's call with right. President Trump that he eventually got impeached for. That's right. And you have all these characters from that impeachment trial, the Vindmans we see on MSNBC uh, all the time. They're twins, so I do say the Vindmans. The Vindmans. <laughs> They're on there. Um, and just so many of these other characters that are surrounding this just Ukraine being in the news in a bizarre fashion the last 10 years, whether it's Hunter Biden or Giuliani or the perfect phone call. I said he was very funny on TV. I really admired his uh, career. And then it was a perfect call. But that's what's so fascinating, just how Ukraine has been this linchpin in U.S. foreign policy um, and just kind of a hot topic here. And now it is literally going to be the catalyst for right. starting a war with Russia. And basically the Zelensky Trump phone call, I guess it boils down to weapons trading. Mm -hmm. Correct? Because it, it came down to Trump saying, I defense. need you to do us a little favor right. where he literally, I think, wanted help getting documents on the Biden's involvement with gas companies in Ukraine. And in exchange, then he would release all the millions of dollars in military aid that Congress right. had already voted on. And that's where the impeachment came through. Because when oh, you're president, God. the money's already been promised by the Congress. You cannot stop that as one person. No, <laughs> but you can't do that. But you can go to war and destabilize the world for your own political and monetary gain. Yay! If Russia does go into Ukraine, apparently Ukraine has about 250,000 people in their armed forces, and that is a hell of a lot less than Russia. So people think, because Russia has tens of thousands of troops uh, right now on Ukraine border. So mm -hmm. um, mm. if, uh, you know, we talk about Russia, the economy might be small and the military isn't nearly as big as ours, but right. by Ukraine, compared to Ukraine, they are huge. Yeah. And so. they, they again, they have Russian separatists in Ukraine. Um, they already have a military presence right there on the border. And the idea here, again, what are we, what are, what is the U.S., what is NATO fighting for? Is that if, if this works and, Putin just does this again, as he did with Crimea. Right. Then you, you're, then you're looking at Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania. Mm -hmm. You're looking at a lot of those Baltic states, those Every, former Soviet Soviet satellite states that are now technically yeah. part of Europe. We've been saying it for years, and that was one of the reasons why the war in Syria continues 
And of course, is why it was also so very intense. Yes. That's a strategic, strategic place there for old Putin as he wants his childhood Soviet Union back. <laughs> I want my borscht. Well, <laughs> I got good news for you. I looked in your soul and you've got borscht in your soul. Oh, thank you, Dabia. I guess uh, if you don't know what's going on, check Belarus. Look at what's happening with Belarus right now and right. The, exactly what Great. what the consequences of this would be and how bad it could actually be for a, well, a European country, literally. Or mm-hmm. invest, invest, invest. Northrop Grumman. Get your stocks. <laughs> right. Get your stocks now. Oh, oil stocks seem oil to be going stocks, up. That's yeah. real nice. Uh, time to make some Lockheed money off Martin. of this stuff. Lockheed. Oh, yeah, Lockheed Martin. You know what? If they're all going to make some money, why don't we? Yeah. Um, I'm uh, going to check into my Pelosi and Putin <laughs> stock tracker and I'm yes. going to cash in and get drunk with Boris Yeltsin. There you go. R.I.P. He's dead. You'd have to dig up his drunken corpse. <laughs> Next episode, we'll stick more domestic. Uh, we'll discuss uh, what's going on in this wacky world of social media and so on and so forth. Okay, everyone. Well, we hope you learned something. Certainly, we all learned something today. And uh, stay safe out there. And when it comes to war and peace, we always hope for the latter. Peace. All right, everyone. Hail yourselves. We'll talk to you soon. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.